Cast. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 80 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Uh, today's guest comes to me from my friends over at Interview Connections. Uh, his name is Jason Troy. Uh, Jason is an executive coach who works with executives, entrepreneurs, and rising stars to maximize their leadership potential and performance. He also helps them build and execute their career blueprint. He's the best-selling author of Social Wealth, a how-to guide on building extraordinary business relationships, which has sold more than 45,000 copies. Jason has been featured speaker at TEDx Wilmington in 2017, where he debuted his breakthrough team-building game, Cards Against Mundanity. Finally, he hosts his own podcast show, and I highly encourage you to check this out, Executive Breakthroughs, where he brings game-changing CEOs, entrepreneurs, and experts that share their breakthroughs and their breakdowns. Now, this conversation with Jason was great. We covered a lot of things about leadership um, and how to show vulnerability and manage emotions, and we covered a lot of great topics. But the big thing here is uh, we discussed Jason's book, and we touch on these cards against mundanity, which I think are a really great tool uh, to help you kind of uncover some of these things that uh, you know you may not be realizing about yourself or your team. They work very much like cards against humanity, as you may have uh, kind of figured out from the the likeness of the name. Uh, but anyways, I highly encourage you to check out the book. I highly encourage you to check out and get a deck of the cards. And I highly encourage myself to stop talking right now and get out of your way and let you get into this interview with Jason Troy. All right. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. As mentioned in the bio, today's guest is Jason Troy. Jason, thanks for being with us today. Hey, it's uh, great to be here with you and your fantastic tribe and someone also who... Uh, is around my alma mater, Indiana University, so I always appreciate talking to a fellow person from Indiana. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. No, um, well, I'll tell you what, just so uh, we keep an even playing field going here, I'm going to start you off where I start all my guests and uh, ask you that question. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? You know, I think to me that the burden of command is really the balance between how to be courageous and I think vulnerable in how that you have to lead individuals, manage a, a business. And it's extremely hard because that requires us to do our best work and look inside at us and look at ourselves in the mirror. And so I think that, that challenge is really the biggest burden we have. And when we don't do it, we fail to be at our best. No, I, I like that. And especially that self-reflection piece, because, uh, you know, I, I always remind people like nobody can lie to you as easy as you can lie to yourself. Right. I mean, and that happens. And part of it is right. Self-awareness you know, Tasha Yurik, um, who's one of the probably top self-awareness experts, um, you know, I've spoken to her quite a bit, and she, one of her, you know, stats is that she did research that 95% of people think they're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% are. 
And it's the overestimation of our abilities and unable to really understand where we're at and calibrate it that we make the most mistakes because of it. And we don't ask questions and we're not really willing to look and go there because it's a skill set you have to learn and you have to put down your ego and your armor and it takes a lot of courage. But that's where you do your greatest learning, right? Because the essence of being a leader is if you don't know yourself and you can't be vulnerable with yourself, then you can't be vulnerable with other people, which means you can't be courageous, which means by definition, you can't be a great leader. And Brene Brown has done a ridiculous amount of research on this, which, you know, points to that. And I find that to be a hundred percent accurate with all my clients and everyone else. Oh yeah. No, I love the fact that you mentioned Brene Brown. She's uh I've got about three or four people that I call my unicorn guests on the show, and she's one of them. And uh, I've reached out to her, and she's always busy. Uh, so I'm going to keep plugging away at that one. But you're right. I mean, the work she's done with just you know getting people aware of of empathy and self awareness, and, and is amazing. And you know, I like what you said there. You know about the uh, the statistics. You know, I'm. Yeah, I live in Indiana now, but I'm a good old country boy from Northeast Tennessee, and I like to, to bring it down simple. But I use, when I'm doing workshops, I run people through this scenario. So just think about it, right? We're getting ready to go to lunch. You're going to go out and you're going to have that sandwich with onions on it, right? And after the show, after lunch, you're going to come back and you're going to sit down and you're going to just swear that your breath is just fine while everybody at the table is dying from the onion breath. Now think about that for a second. That's right underneath your own nose and you can't even smell it. What else are you lying to yourself about? Yeah, and if you haven't done the self-awareness piece, the other problem is I listen to this author, Kim, I believe her name is Kim Scott, and she's got a book on like radical candor. And, and the other problem too is if you don't do that, the people around you won't tell you the truth and be transparent. And right. so they'll just say, they won't either say anything or try to be nice. And that hurts you as well because now no one's going to tell you you have onions in your breast because they're concerned you might get mad, upset, and they don't have their relationships and they're not sure whether you can take the criticism and the negativity that you may view that at as well. So I, like, I think that's why self-awareness is really the first place for everyone to take a look at. And then Brene Brown's books really is like, you know, it's a book I give to every single client, I mean, no matter who it is, no matter what the situation is, because it's a Swiss army knife that if you can't do those things, it, it, the rest of what we're going to do really won't work because you'll be unwilling to do the things that are necessary, like to be a great leader, which is right. Be vulnerable, be courageous, have hard conversations, right. Do really deep digging on yourself and, all the other things that, um, you know, need to happen. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's a critical piece right there. What you just said is like when somebody does step up and, and, and have the courage to say, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll keep the, we'll keep the analogy going here. When somebody does have the courage to step up and say, Hey, you, you've got onions on your breath. You, you want a piece of gum. How you react in that moment is kind of a make or break moment for your leadership yeah. and your relationship with that person. Right. Yes, because I think what ends up happening is there is this like battle with people on ego and perfectionism, right? That is a huge battle of always being right instead of how can I get better? 
And it's easy to say that, but it's really hard, right? I read some research years ago where, um, and I have this with clients too, right? Where they had some, they gave someone a review, like they gave people reviews, right? Where 90% of it was really good and 10% of it was, was, you know, recommendations for improvement. And when they asked people about cognition, like people barely remembered anything of the positive and all they remembered was the criticism, <laughs> right? Yep. And that's all they read, right? And so that is what people do because they're looking for constant praise and they're not, and people, and it's a learned behavior to want to get better and realize that you are imperfect and everyone is in the same boat and you're not alone, but you you have to be curious and you have to be in that place, right? And learn that. And then you can realize your life is about constant improvement, right? It, it, until the day that you die, every day you can get better, like every quarter, every year. And what are you doing to, to make that a reality rather than get defensive have your ego bruised or feel like you need to be perfect to prove to other people, right? When everyone knows you're not, right? Like this, like the same conversation we're having now. And I think, you know, that's like one of the huge challenge for people today is to be, to have that mentality because otherwise it creates all these other challenges uh, on the team dynamic and your interactions and relationships. Oh, a hundred percent. I love, I love what you said there. Cause that's one of the, another one of the things I, 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 you know, I say a lot to leaders is like, look, leadership isn't about being perfect. Your, your people don't want you to be perfect. They want you to be human and humans aren't perfect. Right. I mean, you got to come to grips with that piece. Humans aren't perfect. You're going to make mistakes. And, and how you act in that moment is the most important thing that you can do. Because when you screw up and you, if you could admit it, own it, make corrections, you know, you model that behavior for the people that follow you. And, and you say it's okay for you to mess up. We're going to learn together. We're going to grow together. But if you react negatively when somebody pulls, you know, hey, uh, something that you've done and, and, and calls you out on it, well, now you've said, we're not here to be open and honest with each other. We're just here to like fulfill a command and move on. Right. Yeah. And I think when people, people might be listening and saying, Oh, that's really, you know, that's really nice. And yeah, everyone like to be that. Well, I mean, if you look at Google's research on project Aristotle and what they did was they looked back at all the high performing teams globally. Right. And I've talked to people quite a bit at Google about that research they did. And they were looking at trends and patterns to figure out about hiring and like who could we hire and what traits. And they ended up finding that there were no individual traits that made up a great team. Like if you comprised individuals, it was having psychological safety. Mm -hmm. and, that, and they had no high performing teams anywhere in the world without it, no matter where they were located. And psychological safety is essentially a way for people to take emotional risks, right? Speak up, right? Have healthy conflict, disagree, and it'd be okay. And for people to be able to work through those issues and be vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. and, and put it all on the table on a team. And it's very difficult to do that. But all the research shows that that is what's required 
to have a, a like a number one percent or top percent, right? Like at that level, high performing team. And sure, there are exceptions, but they're not that many. And then when you look at Marcus Buckingham did research in Harvard Business Review like last year, um, or it was the year before, and there's a May issue of 2019, and it showed that like if everyone in the team on a one to five scale, right, and five being like extreme trust and one being like extreme distrust, if everyone doesn't rate everyone on the team at a five, right, what happens is, and they've just rated at a four, so you trust someone, their engagement is that of a person who is on a one, right, of mm -hmm. active distrust. So, and, and engagement is a proxy for productivity, communication, collaboration, but if they're at a five, they're eight times higher, right, than average. So you can do incredible things around a group of individuals when you create the right dynamics and they, you don't have to hire all A players, right? So that isn't, you know, I think that's what people also misunderstand about it as a, like a team dynamic is not, yes, of course you should be hiring great people and you should be finding them and strive to do it, but it's more about how they're going to interact with each other that is gonna determine like your like company, right? And like where it is and how well it does. It's not the individuals by themselves. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, I mean, uh, having been in, in the Indianapolis area now for a little over a decade, uh, you know, I'm not really a Colts fan, but I'm kind of, uh, I'm Colts adjacent. Let's put it that way. Uh, but you know, I love Tony Dungy and, um, I'm trying to remember the name of his book right now. It just popped out of my head, but he has a segment in there where he's talking about those uh, Peyton Manning led Colts teams that, you know, kept going 13 and three and 13 and three and not winning a Super Bowl. And then finally, I think the year they won the Super Bowl, they had, I don't know, it may be like a, a, a 10 and six record or whatever it was. It was like not one of their best records. And it wasn't a team that anybody really expected to necessarily go far. But in the book, he says essentially what you just said. He, he, he says it. It was not the most talented team I'd ever coached, but by far it was the best team that functioned as a team. And that was the difference between being, you know, a great 13 and three team and being a championship team was functioning as a team, right? I completely agree. And I think that if you take a look at strategic priorities, whether you are a company like C-level person, you're a vice president, whether you're a director, even if you're a manager, right? If one of your top five goals for 2021 it isn't to improve on your teamwork and make it a strategic priority on everything you're doing, you're making a grave mistake. Because you'll only do great things if the people around you operate at their best. So if you don't empower them and figure out how to bring out their strengths, and work on it. And again, Marcus Buckingham, does, people can Google him and look at, they've done tons, and he's done tons and tons of published research even recently on this. And there's a lot of other people that are bringing this up as well. And I think that that's one of the things people just don't really think about. And again, if you go back to the data, they've done tons of research on putting like all-star teams together. They put all-star like doctors together, nurses, flight crews, all these different versus people that had worked really well together and knew each other. And almost in every instance, 
the people that knew each other well and worked well together outperformed the all-star teams of people that got put together, right? And mm-hmm. it, right. And just to make your point there, it's it's not about being sixteen and zero and going on, right? It's about having a great team, no matter what your record is, and you're peaking at the right time. And that is the same thing in a company, no matter what size it is, no matter who you are. Um, and it's a skill set that most people don't have and they just think it automatically happens, but you have to master it and it's a learned behavior. People just don't have it organically because it's, it, there's too many things that need to happen. And if they and if they do well in one environment and they haven't mastered the skill, which often happens, right? Because you'll see successful entrepreneurs do one company, but you rarely see people do two right. um, or three because they can't, they cannot recreate the culture and teamwork and the people operations because so much of it is organic or at the time or other circumstances and they really don't know why. And that's a huge problem because the heart and soul of every business is people. Right. A hundred percent on that one. And and you're right. It's very, it's very rare uh, that somebody captures that lightning in the bottle twice, so to speak. And then you have kind of the unicorns out there like, uh, you know, uh, John Paul DeJoria, who has, you know, two, billion dollar companies with fairly well-regarded cultures in two completely different spaces, right? I mean, uh, he's, he's obviously the John Paul Mitchell systems and, uh, Patron. Wait, those two things aren't related whatsoever, right? So it's not really like the skill set is very intuitively ported from building hair care products to building a uh, tequila brand. But because of that belief in culture and teamwork that he brought, that laid that ultimate foundation for two very successful organizations. Would you agree? Well, yeah, because I think end of the day, when you're a CEO, you, you have a vision and strategy piece, but you're not doing the work. So a huge piece of your role is psychologist, sociologist, developer, like people developer. Uh, you're working on other things, and that skill set is translatable to any industry you do, right? And and you know you have to hire, recruit the people around you, and bring out the best in them, and in the organization as a whole. And that doesn't matter what it is or where it is or how it's structured. It's all essentially the same, right? And that again, like it's that skill set is the one that people miss the most. And it would hurt businesses like in a tremendous way. I like, and, and that's end of the day, right? I mean, like your job and my job and like, and people who are doing this and working with people, it's, it's helping people successfully scale their business, right? It's really about scale. I look at it, I mean, one word, it's like scalability, right? I can help you scale your business much faster and much more efficiently than you'll ever be able to do on your own. And you can try, but you won't do it. And so go ahead, well, well, you know, and I always say that and, it, and it's happened, right? I've had clients where I've had two, three year spans where I pitched them and then saw them flounder and come back and said, look, you know, you've had you've poor teamwork, you're poor things that are going on. How's it working out for you, right? right? Like, you know, and I think that, again, that becomes the the challenge right now for, for people. And I think 
you know, COVID's pointing that out. If you look at all the research, right, Gartner put out a research about skill sets that people have to start to master. And, you know, like 60 to 70% of them are now softer power skills that you have to have. And there's significantly more skill sets you have to build now moving forward than you did like before, right, year over year. Mm. And that's a pretty dramatic shift. And you're also seeing like a lot of, if you Google their articles now that, you know, there's a lot of influencers and people saying the CEO is not the chief executive officer anymore, it's a chief empathy officer. And I think it's true. Yeah. And I think that's one of the huge problems, right, in leaders and other people is lack of empathy. And it's also lack of empathy going the other way, right, from people in an organization. And so, I mean, these are the skill sets that people are going to need to be effective in their role, no matter where they are, no matter where their goals are, like, because that's a requirement of working with other individuals. And it's, and it's I find almost all the time, it's not smart people, right, could be doing significantly better, but they get in their own way. And it's their relationships and it's their communication and collaboration and lack of ability to resolve conflicts that causes them significant pain and holds them back. It's not their intelligence, right? It's not the business plan of stopping companies. It's, it's the people. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, you know, and, and what is a good place in your opinion, uh, in your experience, I guess I should say, not necessarily opinion, but your experience, what is a good place for a company to start trying to build that level of culture and teamwork? Well, I think that when you unpack everything, it, it's about trust, mm. right? And I think when you boil it down and you peel back the onion, the people you trust the most with, you treat them differently than you treat other people. And and my meaning that, I mean, I mean, everyone can think about this. Think about the people you're closest to in your personal life, right? You can argue with them and get mad at them, but you'll forgive them or let it go or compromise, right? Or apologize, even like even if you don't want to, because the relationship is more important than the argument or the conflict or whatever you're disagreeing about because you're worried about losing it. But if it's someone that you don't have trust with, then that's not the case. Maybe you still may do it, but you won't do it all of the time. So the key is, is moving that trust needle up and figuring out how to do it super quickly. Because I was reading, you know, I created this game Cards Against Mundanity because I was doing a TED Talk, you know, years ago, and I was like, I want to make something that's actually, like, applicable, and I could, like, do something with it, and I could give it to someone as a practical application. And it came across this piece of research by uh, Professor Arthur Aaron, and he was trying to figure out and build interpersonal closeness between people, right? Some of this was building best friends or dating relationships, and he did a bunch of experiments and one of them he did was he gave complete strangers who didn't know each other, um, there were 54 grad students, he gave them 36 pretty vulnerable questions to ask in 45 minutes of each other, you know, back and forth. And he, you know, the thought was, well, if you ask them that, could that actually get them to feel closer about each other and build, you know, trust? And what he ended up finding in the research is 30% of the people felt like they had built the closest relationship in their life right in 45 minutes with a complete stranger and he replicated that you know dozens of times i mean i think a hundred times in research right in like all types of different environments with people and i've done the same thing and it's pretty amazing 
and, and I think the secret with trust coming out of that that I figured out is that it's about sharing our experiences because we have control over that and sharing our emotions. We share that with other people in a group and they share the same thing back with us. What we do is we see ourselves in them in some shape or form. Because the other thing that happens is you'll see teams like they have a health scare in the leader or the company has a nosedive and people like bandy together, right? Um, but those are events, right? And they can build trust when that happens, but that's out of your control. And you really, you, you know, it happens, it happens. But within our control is building trust. And, it, and the same thing goes for diversity and inclusion, right? They're finding the research now, which I've been talking about forever. The key is belonging. Right. You're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get people to look at diversity and say, "Well, I'm gonna think about that other person and say, well, you know, we should be more inclusive here, right?" Because you don't feel it and really believe it because you don't know it, and you're not really looking at that person and thinking, "Wow, I see a lot of them in me." So, the first step is really to start to ask vulnerable questions in a group of people and have them answer the same questions, right? Like ask them questions like, so what's the most important lesson you've learned in the last year, right? You know, tell me about a person in your life that's made a significant impact that you'd like to thank and who was that person and what did they do for you, right? right? Like tell me about the biggest setback you've had in the last five years and how'd you overcome it? And when you do that in a group, everyone shares and they don't think about it and they'll open up to complete strangers in the group or even people they knew, but they've never really been that vulnerable with. And it opens a massive trust opportunity with them that they didn't have before. And that's the, that's the first gateway because if you don't build a high trust foundation, all the rest of the things that you do are superfluous because it doesn't really, you don't really get to know people and you don't see yourself in them or see common emotions in them, even if the experience isn't like the same. And really, that's where the magic starts to happen with people in doing it, right? And I've seen this happen in groups. And what's interesting too that I did this in larger groups and I wondered if it would work like across the groups. And what's really amazing is if you have a hundred people and you break them into 10 groups of 10 and everyone knows they're doing the exercise, they treat everyone as though they were in the same group. Mm. Well, that's neat. Yeah. That, that's very interesting. That is very interesting. And, and I love the, the, the trust piece, right? Cause and you mentioned trust and COVID. And, um, you know, I remember a few months after COVID kind of hit, I was, I was talking with one individual and uh, they were talking about installing all this like productivity tracking software because their people were yes. working remotely. Right. And that was what it boiled down to. It was like, well, you know, I need to make sure that they're doing their work. I'm like, you do realize that's a trust issue, right? Well, but I've got to be able to track these things. And, and I'm like, well, that may be your reason, but they're going to hear that as a trust issue. And that was a very, it was a very difficult conversation to get through because you don't track people unless you don't trust them. Well, exactly. Right. And I think that's one of the things whenever I'm, I'm coaching with people now that I always start to dig down on. Right. So if someone, when someone asks me that question, right, that like they ask you, one of the things I say to, like, I go to them and saying, they say, well, we need to track it. And I say, well, why do you need to track it? 
And I won't stop until they essentially come back to saying, I don't trust that they're actually doing the work. Mm -hmm. And then I say, okay, you don't have a productivity software problem. You have a trust problem. And where does this trust problem stem from, right? Like where have people betrayed you in this business or outside of it? And I think part of this root cause analysis and what we do is like, that's the other big thing of this, right? Is that we start to attribute things that aren't true to the problem at hand, right? Yep. And therefore, we have to dig at the real causality and the root cause of why people are doing sort of like uh, an, a, a therapist would do if they could do it and be super aggressive and right. not like get into trouble by like going over the line. But that's, I mean, because that's what's happened. I, I've had people tell me that managers before, right? And I've, I went in this. I think that's a very common, if you look at the research, that's one of the biggest problems right now is people don't trust people that are doing it. And I've mm -hmm. talked to people even recently where they feel like they don't really do enough work because people can't watch them. And this is not just like, this is not people at like a lower level. This is people at a high level too, right? That higher level leaders don't trust them. So it's it's a massive tr the trust problem is huge right Edelman trust barometer people want to look at that and that's a great way to look at the really lack of trust and poor trust that's going on and you know I think COVID's helped in some ways and hurt in other ways and I think it was all dependent on the leaders right like an example I had was I talked to some company I was working with about how to do layouts right and I was like, you just need to tell people the truth. You, you don't need to sugarcoat it. You need to tell them exactly what's going on and that's it, right? But instead they were like, well, you know, things are getting better and we're making really good improvements and we feel really super confident about the future. Oh, and by the way, we're laying off 10% of the workforce. And you know what happened? People filled the survey and they gave it like, you know, the average was somewhere between one and two out of five. Right. And then my client came back at me and said, man, these servers bad. And I said, yeah, because you did exactly what I told you not to do. And what ends up happening is now that people can't trust what's coming on your mouth. And they think you're making one of those sandwiches, right? I'll tell you something bad or good. Then I'll tell you the truth. And then I'll tell you something good because I feel like I have to like sugarcoat it. And, you know, and then you lose trust and you lose credibility, right? And I mean, I'm not, I mean, I don't want to get into politics, but that was a significant outcome of this election, no matter where you, you side you fit, sit on when you looked at it in, re, in reverse and looked at like what had occurred and why you know, a sitting president lost. Right. And it's, it's a huge problem. And, and, and here's the other thing that goes along with trust too. So here, here's a great exercise even for you to do with people like you're running into. So I ask them all the time, if trust is such a big issue, how do you build trust? So tell me how tactically and strategically you're building trust in your business with people. And they'll give me highfalutin answers. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, you tell, you, you follow through with your commitments. Okay, great. Like, but does that necessarily build trust with people? Like, so tell me how you're doing it on a day-to-day -day basis with people and how it's instituted in your company. And like, I just get blank stares or people flumbing over words. Like no one even knows. Right. That's the problem, right? Yeah. Like, it's a it's it's like if you can't it's like adding if you can't add then you can't do geometry and calculus and do the rest of it well it's the same thing with trust and you have to know how to do it and the problem is there are so few people that know how to do it and i get why it's super complicated but it really isn't 
<laughs> because end of the day, it's about having real conversations and about finding ways to do it and taking leaps of faith because that is how you're vulnerable. And again, going back to Brene Brown, that is the key for courageous and great leaders. And it always has been and it always will. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I'm I'm over here. You know, you can't see it because this is audio only. But I'm over here nodding my head north and south, a hundred percent. Because you're you're right. The trust piece. I mean, like you know, and, and being aggressive. So like, you know, using going back to the example, of talking with the individual. You know, my question then was, well, why haven't you fired this person? Because if you don't trust them, yeah. you know, and it's get them to see that that kind of absurdity. If you don't trust them, why are they on your team? And and if you can't trust, and if they can't trust you, they don't want to be on your team. You talked about engagement earlier. Yeah. Th that's the crux of it. And and the thing that I think, and, and maybe you have a different take on it, but, you know, I'll kind of answer your question, the exercise there. I see trust as something that you can't, I mean, you can't necessarily generate. You have to, you kind of plant that seed. You have to trust other people, like really trust other people. And by trusting them, that gets them to start trusting you, if that makes sense. No, I, I think it's true. I think what ends up happening is that like, what we have to do is you speed up the process by breaking down barriers. Because at the end of the day, if you look at a group of people, right? If, if like if you're in like and people can think about this like so say you're in a group of like five people right like and and maybe there's six people in the group and there's five other people there there's probably and just say a couple of the people you get along with really well because they act like you they think like you you see a lot of parallels but the other people don't so maybe one of them's kind of in the middle and the other people are completely different well that's a fractured team. And what ends up happening is that when these other people, you start asking them questions and maybe you find out from one of them, right, that their father was like their hero. And they're like, well, that's the same thing with me. Like, I didn't realize that. Well, you start seeing yourself in someone else. And so what happens is then you rethink your defensiveness and why you're not engaging and liking them and saying, well, there's a lot of evidence here. Maybe I need to try more. Maybe I need to engage with them more. And that opens a significant opportunity on a team to open yourself up with other people. So that is how this works. And the other part of it, so something else that I do with people is I do a how to work with me manual, which is essentially a set of questions like an instruction manual, right? Here's your pet peeves. How do you approach me like with negative information? Um, and, and, the, and individuals fill it out, right? Like what can you get, how can you get me in a better mood, right? What's my preferred form of communication? Like there's other things, right? Yeah. Um, what are my best, my top values, right? And then you know how to better interact because you don't have to analyze and predict and be wrong. And the problem is the human beings were horrible at that because we see the world through our blueprint, not through empathy. Yep. And, 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 it's, and it's super hard. So why would you not use something like that, right? And there are other tools beyond that that you can do, but those are the things that make trust go up significantly because it shows that you care and end of the day when you look at all of the factors of trust right um sincerity reliability competency right and caring um 
you find that end of the day, caring by far outweighs anything else, right? Because we've all had people in our life that may not be sincere, but we care about them because they're like they're one of our best friends, or they may not. They're always late showing up, but they care about us, right? But who who really? I mean, no, you're not going to have the best friend that is uh, shows up on time all the time, but doesn't care about you, right? Right. And never calls and supports you, and is not going to be there for you, right? Or a coworker, right? Either way, so. When you look at that, and all the research shows that as well, right? Then you start to realize that I have to care about the people that are around me. I have to get to know them really well, because otherwise I can never build trust with all of the people I'm working with. And without that, I can't be at my best. They can't be at their best, and therefore I will fail. And I will not be able to stand out, right? And that's the yeah. outcome. I mean, that's because more. I mean, most of everyone's work is with other people, right? right. And if they fail, you fail because that's how other people above you view it. I know because I'm in meetings like this all the time, and it, and they don't say, "Well, that person did great, but the other person was horrible." They may say that, but they're also thinking, "Why couldn't that person work with that person, right? Why couldn't they get them to do that?" And that's the other part of the conversation. So. Um, I think we have to strive to get to that place and be able to do that and learn. And then you can really change the dynamic, but it starts there, not with everything else, right? That's the roots of the tree. And then what ends up happening when you don't have that is tons of other problems. They're the leaf of the tree and then you're always blaming something else or thinking of it when you really have a trust problem, right? Because the software you brought up is a great example of that, right? Yep. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a software problem. It's a trust problem, and that's really what happens in most of this. It's a trust. It comes down to a trust problem. I really don't trust you, or I'm scared to open myself up and expose myself because I'm not sure what you're going to do, or I'm not sure you're going to have my back, or I'm not really sure I have psychological safety with you that I can share what I think and feel. Right. And that's what a lot of managers and leaders do. They either lead through fear or they have a nice culture. Right. Or they have one where they don't want people to argue or dissent. So all these things play into it. Um, men are in whatever level you are, you're going to have to build great trust and you're going to have to be the person who is leading with it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I go back to, uh, you know, kind of what you said a bit ago about uh, sugarcoating it, you know, and, and painting this nice rosy picture and then saying we're going to have to let you go. Well, both of those things don't exist. If you have a nice rosy picture and your organization is doing well and you're projecting good numbers, you don't have a reason to lay off people. And when you lay people off, <laughs> you know, like you said, it undermines that trust because those two things can exist in the same organization. So either you're lying about the uh, outlook or you're lying about the reason you're laying people off. and But no matter how you slice it, you're lying, and lying undermines trust. And as we've been talking, without trust, there is no leadership. And, and But it, it boils down really to that vulnerability piece. Like, I remember, uh, you know, being a former active duty Marine, I still take, uh, I still pay attention to a lot of things that are going on in Marine Corps leadership. And I remember when the federal budgets were getting uh, crunched, and I, I remember looking at some of the traffic messaging from different government organizations, and I went and I, I got on the Marine Corps stuff, right? And, and the commandant 
uh, of the Marine Corps put out this great video. And the first thing he started off with was kind of that empathy thing is, look, this is going to be tough for all of us. We're all in this together. Here are the decisions that need to be made. And here is exactly why. And it was just laying everything out. There was no sugarcoating. This is going to suck, but we're all in the suck together and we're going to share the suck. But you know what? Sooner or later, we will get a better budget and all this suck will be worth it because we can do better things then. But right now, it's going to suck. Buckle up. And people like that message better, believe it or not, than trying to paint the rosy picture. Because if we're all experiencing something terrible, we can share that burden and get through it a lot easier versus trying to think everything's nice and rosy, right? Yeah, because everyone knows what the truth is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that, I mean, I think that's what, um, you know, being, having some level of, of, of you know, some people, I think radical candor, I don't really believe in saying, like some, depends on how you define it. But I think end of the day, the challenge is, is that if you don't really speak up and say something, you end up hurting people, right? And, and not, and yourself too. Because I had a, you know, I had another client that I, I had uh, recently that went through an extra, uh, uh, said something to me and uh, they felt horrible about it. it. was They had someone on their team who wasn't performing as well as they could be, but they were like the nicest person and everyone loved them. And mm-hmm. so they were afraid to give really hard feedback because they thought that everyone on the team that he's managing would just defect or be really mad or mutiny. And so what ended up happening was he didn't tell the person who's managed one person, all of the things that he needed to do to get better. Well, what ended up happening then is things got out of control and ended up like having to let the person go. And then in the conversation, the other person said to the manager, my client, like, this is the first time I'm really hearing of this. Like, mm-hmm. I, why didn't someone speak up and tell me? Right. And they're like, well, and they were, didn't even know what to say. Right. Because they were afraid to tell the truth and really give the real reasons behind it. But now this person is no, hasn't, doesn't have a job. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were afraid to get up and tell them what they really needed to hear and have hard conversations with people, right? And that's the problem. And once you once you can't do it with one person, you won't be able to do it with almost everyone. And maybe you'll do it here and there, but it won't be consistent. And if you can't be consistent, you can't be successful because that's what's required in order to work through things is to be able to dive into the deep end with another person and have healthy conflict. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, no. And in that story, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, it's, it, when I hear something like that, you know, it, it, it speaks to me a little bit about how that leader views the rest of the team. Right. Because it's not like the rest of the team doesn't see this person struggling too. Sure. They like them, but, but they see them struggle because chances are pretty good. They're the ones that have to pick up the slack when that person struggles. Yeah, exactly. And they want you to say something because because they like that person. And that's where that empathy piece comes in. Like you can give that bad news without crushing that person. 
And if you can't, then maybe you need to reevaluate where you are in, in, in the organization because that's kind of, as you mentioned, that's kind of a responsibility that you have is giving that type of information and helping those people grow in that position, right? Yeah, because I mean, that today we have to have hard conversations all, all the time with people. And I find that what ends up happening, right, and, and I've spoken to a lot of leaders and they think that some what ends up happening, well, this is how they, they process many leaders. I have experience that if I avoid a situation, it usually resolves itself over some time. So I don't need to actually meet it head on. And some of the times when I wanted to meet it head on and I'd done it, it may have caused more conflict than if I waited and it resolved itself, right? So then you learn from that and you believe that to be true when it's really not, right? And of yeah. course, there's probably some instances, but end of the day, it causes more conflicts and more problems, but you get to avoid. And anytime we have avoidance behaviors, it causes a lot of other problems because we really aren't who we are. We're someone else, we're an imposter. And that causes internal conflicts with people, right? And other people know that because 90, 90 to 93%, depending on what data you use, is nonverbal communication, right? Mm -hmm. So, and you then get out of being vulnerable and being open because you avoid. You can't be both, right? So that, again, it defines a great leader or someone who doesn't. And then when you have problems in an organization, you're unwilling to address it, right? But you really are if you can get out in front of it, right? And, and examples of this recently, right, were, was the sports leagues, right? I mean, the NBA, without all this, they were out in front and center and had honest conversations and figured out a way to have a season and do it very successfully without really little dissent, right? I mean, they have everyone going. You see this in, you know, what New Zealand and Australia, the prime minister said early on, they took swift action, which is different than any, all the other leaders. And they showed people they cared. They said to people, we don't have all the information, but we have to act now and we'll change course as we get more information and we'll update you, right? And they got out in front of it and so did the NBA. Well, it made a radical change in what occurred, right? And you don't see, and, and, and if you look at the NBA now too, you don't see any, you don't see near as much of the public out, like the player outcry against the league as you do in football, as you do in like, you know, bat, I mean, in like, like in uh, baseball, um, you know, and to some degree hockey, probably less because, you know, th there's other challenges there, but of the three major sports, because the commissioner has a different relationship with the rest of the people and he's acting out in front and he's yeah. working with the players and he's working with the players association. It's sure that it's not, you know, perfect and the room for improvement, but it's significantly better than either of the other ones. And that shows you all of the other outcomes that occur. Right. And again, I think that's part of like, of being a leader is being able to do all of those things and to act swiftly in a crisis and to be able to navigate it. And you can't do that if you don't have the trust of the people around you because end of the day, we're asking people to take leaps of faith all the time, right? right. I mean, and because anytime you act in uncertainty, 
right? You then need to get evidence to know you're going in the right direction. Well, when you're in a crisis or a difficult moment, you don't know that because you only know that when you reflect upon it. So you have to have that trust, that psychological safety, the relationships to get people to do something that is going to require Herculean effort and there isn't an outcome that's guaranteed by doing something or another. Well, that's what you built, right? So that's why you have to build it from the beginning and you have to have it and you can't wait and, and you have to learn these things as you are going, you know, from school up onwards onto everything you do and learning and getting better and having goals, right, has to be in your DNA, right? Like, yep, yep. I mean, you know, like I, we've got a couple daughters and one of the things we're, we're rolling them in is some soft skills stuff to work on, right? Like, you know, we're asking them like, okay, for the next half year, what skill do you want to get better at, right? And, you know, perhaps, I mean, it, it, at least if they try, it's better than not. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, and people appreciate effort first and foremost. So trying is better than just sitting on your hand. So, so I, I, I like that. And having a plan, right? Because, yeah. I mean, I know there are people out there saying, well, my company won't do something. Well, a lot of the times I've found that if you go to HR or go to someone in charge of training and ask to do it, even though it's not in the handbook or it's not on the website, they will give you money to do it if you – if you state what you're using it for, why, and are committed to it, and then show them the completion or a grade in something, right? I, I, I've seen this tons of times. And if that's the case where they won't, okay, there's podcasts like this you can listen to. There's tons of cheap online classes. There's books. There's a lot of conduits. There's a lot of free webinars now because yep. of lack of conferences. So it's about resourcefulness. It's not about resources. Sure, resources help. Right. I'm not going to discount that, but you can get around it if, if you have a want yep. and you're willing. And that is really what's required because what I'm, what I'm seeing now and my prediction is that there's going to be a lot of leadership changes in organizations and some people that have been there for a long time. You're going to have young leaders who are more aggressive, hungry, and learning that will be taking over positions that you never would have dreamed over because – the people in them don't have the skills and don't have the drive that are required to be successful in these positions. And it could be vice versa as well, right? So, um, but the new requirements from COVID exacerbated the relationship part of it. And you're seeing more money spent in HR, learning development, HR software, you know, the employee experience and all the rest of it than you've ever seen before. And people actually taking it much more in consideration. So when we see that as a major driver moving forward, right, you as an individual have to take that in consideration as you are looking at your own career and what you want to do, no matter what it is, right? Whether it's an entrepreneur, whether it's in a company, or whether it's a nonprofit, I don't care what it is, right? Yep. Government, it's, it's all... End of the day, they're different environments, but the outcomes are, are similar, right? And what you want to accomplish is to be successful, right? And so that's really what you got to do. And there are people like us that you got to reach out to and, you know, get help or find ways. And you have to budget and prioritize that because that's what's expected now. 
it's not you know 1950 anymore and you can get away with just your performance and you can be a jerk it right. doesn't work like that anymore it'll catch up with you nope 100% 100% well i tell you what you know jason if you can believe it we're sitting at about 50 minutes already right now seems like this this time has flown by um is there anything that we didn't get a chance to go over that you'd like to leave listeners with? You know, there really isn't. I think we talked about a lot of topics I think that will be really helpful for people. Um, I, I would say that one of the things I would look at in 2021 and moving forward is to really look and ask the people that are either around you, right? Like your colleagues or um, your manager, your manager's manager, you know, questions around how you can get better, right? Questions of like, what are things that I should do more of? What are things that I should do less of? What skill sets do you see that I, what soft skills do you see that would be helpful for me to master or learn better and, and why, right? And start to get more data. Don't get defensive, right? Be open and take the feedback and then start doing it and you're going to see massive progress because no one around you will do it and one of the outcomes when you even ask the questions to them no one even asks the questions so you get bonus points immediately because it shows that you care and want to get better and all the people around you will be thinking to themselves wow like there's a change there that person really wants to do this and, and, and maybe you have been doing it well then they'll say boy that person even stands out more than they did before right yep. so and that's an easy way of really getting other people enrolled in your success right and you can even like ask them if you have things you want to get better on to say look i want you to hold me accountable to this if you see me not doing this call me on it and they will and then you don't have to worry about not doing something that they don't want you to do because they'll tell you and they'll do it in a way where it's being helpful not to penalize you, right? Which then is also like in, in your favor because now you don't have to try to be perfect. It's, you have to actually just communicate and not be defensive and be open and be willing. So I would say, you know, that's what I would lead people with is this conversation is to go through these things and really take a hard look and realize you have to get better at a lot of these skills because they're learned behaviors. They're not something that you're born with. I love it. I love it. No, that that's good information to uh, uh, that's good information to end on. And uh, you know, thank you very much for for spending this time with me and my listeners and having this conversation. It has been great. Like you said, we hit on a lot of topics. Uh, but you said something a second ago about reaching out and, and connecting with uh, people like us. Uh, how how can people uh, find out more about you? What you do? The the cards against mundanity and uh, you know, just reach out to you on, on social media. If they want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? So they can go to my website. It's jasontreu.com, right? jasontroy.com. You can also Google Cards Against Mundanity. There's a free version. There's a paid version. You know, also my book, Social Wealth. It's done well about building great business relationships on Amazon. And so, you know, you can reach out to me and do individual coaching, group coaching, a lot of things for people that, you know, drive and help so you know and just feel free to chat and ask questions and i help people all the time so on the side. 
outstanding. And as always, I'll have the uh, the links to some of your different social media channels and, and your website and, and all that good stuff in the show notes for this show. Uh, again, Jason, thank you very much. This, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, uh, you know the drill. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, burden.command at gmail.com. Hit me up. Uh, I try to respond to as many as I can, uh, and I'm usually pretty good about it. I don't think I've missed any in a while. Uh, rate the show, reviews, those are extremely valuable. That's how the algorithms make the show grow and help me help guests like Jason uh, share their messages. Uh, so keep up with that. Y'all been doing great. Just keep up the good work on that. And uh, you know, with that, I'm just going to say I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.